Well, I already said it once, but I'll say it again. Good morning. I don't need to say good morning. It's like afternoon already. You got energy today. Where it came from, but I like it. And I'm glad that you're here today with us. For if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet. My name is John, and I'm the pastor here. You might not know that if you've been coming over the last month or so, because I've been here, there, and everywhere. Uh, but it's good to be back and uh, preaching again in the normal. Um, but it is good to be here with you as we're starting a brand new series. We're just going to do three weeks in this series, and we are going to talk about the Holy Spirit, which is such an interesting topic to talk about, and honestly, does, he doesn't get talked about enough. He doesn't get talked about enough, but there's a lot of questions, and he can sometimes seem very mystical or mysterious. How does he work? What does he do? What does he not do? There's a lot of thoughts about that, and I think a lot of confusion about it, too, and so hopefully we can clear up some of that conversation, uh, some of that confusion And you might notice that I am not talking about him as an it, because he is not an it. He is a he. He is a person. He is a person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we should be careful not to talk about him as an it, but he is a he. He is a person, and he is with us. Now, a few things I think we need to clear up, okay? He is not a dove, okay? He's not. He is not. He's not a bird. That's not what he is. You might see him often represented as a bird or as a dove, and that would come from places in Scripture where people experienced the Holy Spirit and described it that way, described him that way. They saw the Spirit at Jesus' baptism, for example. They saw the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove. Like a dove. Not a dove, but like a dove, all right? That's just all they, they were trying, and this happens oftentimes in Scripture, and you got to recognize it when it's happening. They were trying to explain a spiritual reality with physical words. They were trying to explain something they'd never seen before in words based on something they had seen before, like an analogy. Like, I, I don't know, that's, I've never seen that before, but it was sort of like a dove, okay? So those, that's the kind of thing. There's a lot of imagery like that in Scripture. I think that a lot of what we read in Revelation is imagery like that, you know? Seeing these flying beasts and all of this stuff, and maybe it is exactly what he says it is, or maybe that flying beast is a helicopter, and John just has absolutely no idea what a helicopter is, you know? So he's describing it as what, what he's seen. He's describing future events in that case. But the, the Spirit is not a dove, not a bird, all right? He is also not a flame, Okay? He's described that way oftentimes in Scripture when he shows up like on the day of Pentecost. And it says that there were, uh, it appeared above their, as the Spirit descended, it, it uh, appeared above their heads, divided tongues as of fire, like a flame of fire above their head. But that is not what he is. There's an attempt to describe him in physical terms that is always going to fall short. But what is he? Who is he? What does he want to do? What does he do? We're going to be talking about that as we go through the series. But this is really important for us to understand. And there are a lot of misunderstandings about him. And so Jesus told us that this would be the presence of the Holy Spirit in us and with us would be better even than Jesus' presence with us. He said this in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, Jesus says, and I will pray the Father, and this was in the video that you just watched, or a paraphrase of this was in the video you just watched. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some other versions say comforter. He will give you a helper, a comforter, 
that he may abide with you forever. Spirit, abide with us forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, I think when Jesus says he dwells with you, Jesus is saying he is the presence of the Spirit at that time, but that the time is coming when the Spirit will abide with you forever and will be in you. The Spirit will be in you, which means in you, 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 and me. He will be in us. Now, the word he used, I mentioned he it's translated New King James, translated uh, helper, other places transferred comforter. It's the word uh, parakletos, parakletos. It comes from the root word paraklete. And um, it means to come to one side. Okay. There's, Jesus is saying that I, he, God will give you one who will come to your side. It's used of somebody who's an aide or a lawyer on retention, someone who would defend you, someone who would protect you, someone who would comfort you and care for you. And Jesus says, you know him. You know him. How do they know him? He said, well, because he dwells with you. Jesus, I think, is talking about himself in that moment. And then he says, and will be in you. You will know him because he will be in you. And so I'm just going to ask this as we get started. If you're a believer, the spirit dwells in you. He dwells in you. How well do you know him? How well do you know him? The journey of a Christian, once we're saved, is a journey, we'd say, of becoming Christ-like, right? We often use that term. And we think about Jesus as this other person, this separate thing. But the same spirit who dwells in Jesus as a member of the Trinity, that spirit dwells in you. And so the journey of a Christian is not just learning the Bible. That's important. The spirit uses it. But the journey of a Christian is learning how to walk in the Spirit. And so the fact that this doesn't get talked about as much as it should is surprising. (laughs) How do we walk in the Spirit? How do we do that? This is so important. Jesus says in John chapter 16, But now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. They're they're upset. His disciples are upset because Jesus has told them he's going away. They don't want him to go away. They want him right there next to him. And then verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, it is in your best interest, it is better for you that you would have the Spirit in you than me walking next to you. It is better. And I know we we often think as Christians, like, oh, man, if Jesus were just right here, if only Jesus were right here, and I could ask him what he wanted me to do. If Jesus were just right here, and I had an example of holiness, and I knew how to react in this situation, and I want you to know that what you have is better than Jesus standing right next to you. You have the Spirit in you, but you have to learn, I have to learn how to listen to him, how to walk with him, how to respond to him, 
how to live the way that he is leading me to live rather than the way the world is leading me to live. And that can be very difficult. But the more and more you get to know him, the more good you get at listening to him, hearing his voice and walking with him, the more natural that becomes and the more a part of who you are it does become. All right? This happened. Uh, they didn't, you know, you read all this stuff in the Old Testament and the spirit is present, but the spirit is not indwelling people when you read through the Old Testament. Even when you look at um, the Gospels and Jesus is doing his ministry and he's got these disciples who are following him and he's teaching them and leading them and Jesus is filled with the Spirit, but they are not filled with the Spirit. So they are living a very different kind of spiritual life than we are. They were looking at outside things and trying to learn and grow. But after Jesus left, his promise was true. After he left, the Spirit was sent to them and everything changed. The way they related with God changed. The way they understood themselves and their lives changed. Uh, everything. And that moment happened. We call it the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 1, it records, After being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. What promise is he talking about? He's talking about this promise of the Helper that was going to come. So you got to stick together and wait for that. Verse 5, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall. So if I can pause for a minute. Jesus said, you guys need it. When I'm gone, you need to stick together and you need to wait for the promise. And that promise is the Holy Spirit, okay? You need to stick together and you need to wait for him. And they said, wait, wait, wait. Aren't you going to restore the kingdom right now? Are you going to you do it right now? Because they want him to stay. <laughs> Are you going to restore the kingdom right now? And Jesus said, it is not for you to know the days or the times. So no, the answer is no, not now. <laughs> later, sometime later. But here's the meantime, okay? But in the meantime, all right, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father's put on in his own authority. Verse 8, but, this is the meantime, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you or has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this is his answer to them. They say, Jesus, are you staying with us? Are you going to establish the kingdom? He says, no, that's happening later. Can't tell you when. But in the meantime, you are going to receive the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to give you power, and that power is so that you can go be my witnesses to all the world. It's purposeful. He is going to come, and he in you is better than me next to you. All right. They didn't understand. They didn't understand. They, they genuinely thought Jesus was just going to establish the kingdom because they didn't get it. They didn't understand there was going to be a meantime. We are living in the meantime. We're living in the meantime. Jesus has returned to the Father and given us the Spirit, and now we wait for Jesus' return. We're living in the meantime. And we're waiting, and we want to wait well. And the Spirit wants to help us, lead us, guide us, comfort us to wait well, to be all of the things that God created us to be. So we are ready when Jesus returns. So that all who will receive Jesus are ready when he returns. But we have taken the Spirit, many people I should say, and, and me at times in my life too, have taken the Spirit and diminished him down. Diminished him to, in some cases, a sideshow. 
a circus act. Like, like the spirit is just a genie in a bottle. That I pray and I ask him for something and he's obligated to do that for me. Or we've turned him into uh, an on-call miracle worker. Like if I just pray this particular way or if I have enough faith or whatever, he's got to do this thing for me. And it, he doesn't work like that. He's better than that. He's greater than that. He's not just a, he's not an, an administrative assistant in our life. He is the leader of our life. He is God. He is God in us, leading us, and we need to listen to and follow him. He is, the Holy Spirit is not just goosebumps in an emotional moment. Oftentimes we act that way or think that way. We're just seeking a spiritual moment, and it's an emotional thing. He is consistent 100% of the time with you in the emotional moments and the rational moments. He is there with you in all of that. And so to diminish him to anything less than that is insulting. He is to be the leader of our life, where we're listening to him and walking faithfully with him, where we are talking to him every single day, where we wake up every single day and say, Spirit, lead me. And whatever you lead me to today, I'll do. Whatever you want me to say, I will say. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. But that level of faithfulness and obedience is very difficult for us because we have so many different distractions going on around us. But to have him in us every single day, with us every day, is... What an honor. What, how, how much more could God give us? We, we ask God for so many things. We ask him for so many physical things or, or job-related things or relational things. And he has given us his very spirit living in us. What more does he need to give us? What more could he give us? What? We want to learn and we want to grow, and he's given us absolutely everything that we need to, in order to do that. I mean, if you want to learn from someone, what's better, sitting down for an hour lecture with them or having coffee with them every single morning? <laughs> Time spent with God in a relationship with God. It's unbelievable. And as I said, we uh, celebrate the, uh, the day of Pentecost or recognize the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. That's recorded in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, uh, they were with, uh, all with, they were all with one accord in one place. That's an odd way to say that. I have this verse memorized in a different version from my years, but anyway. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And in this case, what God did is he gave them the ability to speak in foreign languages. And then they go out and they start proclaiming the gospel. And there are people from all different nations in Jerusalem that are looking at the apostles and going, how do they know my language? <laughs> how do they know my dialect? How do they know the way I speak? Yet there's, they're preaching the word of God. They're preaching the gospel to them in these languages. God does something unbelievable in them and through them. And I want you and I want me to understand that God can do unbelievable things through us in the power of the Spirit. Things that defy logic, things that defy ex explanation in some cases, so that 
God's word, God's truth, God's love could go out to the world. He empowers us for his glory. He does not empower us for our glory, and I'm afraid that oftentimes it gets turned into that. People do things, and they say that they are doing them in the spirit, but it is really just to draw attention to themselves. And that is like, like that is, it's a problem, and it shouldn't happen. In our lives, our goal should be to bring honor and glory to God. And God can do incredible things in and through us if we're willing and if our goal is to bring him honor and glory. And so our desire should be to say, Spirit, God, Spirit in us, do whatever you want. And if you want me to do it, let's do it. And if you don't, let's not. There there are certain things that I've seen other people have the ability to do in the spirit. And I'm like, God, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do that. Would you let me do that? And he doesn't empower me to do that because it's not what I'm supposed to do. So what, what we are supposed to do is say, God, what do you want to do through me? Empower me through the spirit. We'll talk more about that in, actually in a later uh, I'm getting off track here, but uh, we'll talk more about that in, a, uh, in a, a later message in the series. All right, But God wants to give this to you, this gift, the gift of his presence, the gift of his spirit. Uh, Jesus says this about him, Luke chapter 11. And this is a verse that can be often misunderstood, but there's a very clear reason Jesus says this. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, some people mistake this and think that this is Jesus somehow promising that anything you ask God for, that he will give you. That's not at all what he's saying. So just keep reading. For everyone, verse 10, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give what? The Holy Spirit to those who ask him. If you want the Spirit to lead you, you just have to ask He is in you and he is there, but you have to ask. You have to want it. You have to respond when he shows you what to do. It is a good gift. So who is he? What does he do? How do I know? How do I follow him? We're going to talk about a few of those things in this series. The first thing I want to talk about today is the reality that the spirit is God's mark. He is God's mark on you. And I'll give you three aspects of that from scripture. The first is that he is God's seal. He is God's seal. I want you to imagine like, uh, imagine an old letter, you know, like in, in ancient times, they would send a letter and in order to make sure that letter didn't get messed with or stolen or whatever, they would put a, a drop of wax on the, on the, uh, the tab of the envelope and then they would put their seal on that wax. And then if that was broken by the time that it got where it was supposed to go, you would know that someone had messed with that letter and it intercepted the letter, all right? That is a seal. When Jesus, after he died, was put into the tomb, Pilate put his seal on the tomb to make sure that nobody messed with it. Well, somebody messed with it. (laughs) He just didn't see it coming, right? 
The seal is security. Okay? The seal is a promise. The, the seal is safety. Paul puts it this way uh, Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You believed in Christ and you were sealed by the Spirit. You were sealed by the Spirit. Ephesians uh, chapter 4 verse 30 also says this, by the way, if you're looking for another reference. And God's seal cannot be broken. God's seal cannot be broken. It is short. It provides us with confidence. If if the Spirit has sealed me, then I cannot be opened. Only one person can open me, and that's the owner of the seal. All right? I'm protected. And this is something that's really important for me, and I know there are different teachings about this in different churches, but I believe very, very strongly that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can have confidence that you're saved. You can't lose it. God has sealed you. This is said over and over and over again in Scripture. He has sealed you, and you are protected. And one of my biggest pet peeves is when spiritual leaders create insecurity in people, and it's because of that spiritual leader's own insecurity. So, like, this is... Um, this is uh, summer Camp 101, Christian Summer Camp 101. Right? Have you ever been to like a Christian summer camp or like a teen youth camp or something? What do you do? You break them down, man. Like for a week, you just bre- you break them down emotionally, spiritually, hormonally. You just do it, you know, you get them d- down to their deepest point. And then on the last day of camp, you get up in front of them and you basically just convince them all that they're not Christians. And after you convince them that they're not, they're, none of them are Christians anymore, then you give them the opportunity to respond to the gospel, and 75% of the kids that go to camp raise their hand to accept Jesus. The thing is, they were already saved, a lot of them, okay? I, 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 did, I actually I, I did a, um, a youth camp for a church, and it was a week-long thing, and I was, going, I was supposed to go every single night. And, and the pastor who, who was, like, prepping me to go to this thing uh, to, to speak at it was like, all right, here's what you do. He basically said that, basically said it, you know. And I said, I'm not going to do that because it is vital for you, those of you who are believers to know that you are secure in Christ. So you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of whether you're above the line or below the line. That's not how it works anyway. You don't have to be worried about losing your salvation or being in today or out tomorrow. You can walk in confidence and grace and freedom. So hold your head up high. You are sealed by the Spirit. So be confident in that. You're sealed. He, it's the Spirit that does that, not our effort. It's not, our effort isn't what saves us, and our effort isn't what keeps us saved. The Spirit seals us. Now, how we live and what we do has a lot to do with what happens to us now and also our reward later, but you don't have to worry about your salvation. The, um, there's a famous verse, it gets used all the time, um, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You probably heard that somewhere, you heard it in a song lyric or whatever. And what, what that verse is talking about is the fact that for, for many generations, for years and years and years, that people couldn't experience the, 
presence of God. They couldn't look at God. They couldn't see God. They had to veil their face. They couldn't go into the Holy of Holies. But that because grace has come and the Spirit has been given, that we all, it says, we all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. That that, 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 that barrier between us and God is gone. And we can actually see him. Not only that, he's in us. We all with unveiled faces behold the glory of God. That's not talking about mask ordinances, by the way. Let's be clear. That's not what that verse is about. Okay. I watched, I got to tell you. No? Nah, I want to say it. Okay. So anyway, that's not, that's not, no, no, she says no. No, that's, that is my wife. I don't care what any of you say. And she says no, I'm not going to do it. All right. All right. We all with unveiled faces. That's, okay. Anyway. And then it says, and then it says, for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That this relationship that we have with God in the spirit that we can, he, he is in us and with us, that creates freedom. How is there freedom without security? They have to go together. There is freedom. He is the seal. And so, and so Paul says, uh, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And then he says this in the next verse. This is Ephesians chapter 1, now verse 14 who is the guarantee, the spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So he is God's seal and he is God's guarantee. He is God's guarantee. Think of it like this. Um, I've heard the word earnest used here as well, that, that the spirit is God's earnest. So if any of you ever bought a house, you might understand what earnest is because when, if you're selling your house, and someone comes and makes an offer on that house, you sign a contract, and then they put down what's called earnest money, right? It's like a down payment. It says, I'm going to put down this amount of money, and this proves that I'm going to perform on the contract as a whole. And if I don't perform on the contact, contract as a whole, then you keep the earnest money, right? It's like a down payment. It's like uh, in sports, when an athlete signs a contract, they have guaranteed money in their contract. You know, up front, they're going to get paid that no matter what, and then they have their other stuff on the other side of it. All right, that's, it's a down payment, and the down payment guarantees the future purchase. The Spirit is God's guarantee. All right, he said the, he's the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So eventually, we are going to, whether we go to heaven or whether Jesus comes here, we are going to be rewarded. We're going to get an inheritance, and that inheritance is going to be based on how we've lived and how faithful we were and all of that. All right, but we don't, we haven't, we don't have it yet. It's not in our hands yet. And so the spirit is the guarantee of the, the future possession. It's the guarantee of our inheritance and what's coming. All right? Um, Paul puts it this way to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. Right? We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. For indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up in life. In verse 5, here's, here's key. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. 
that the Spirit confirms to us that there's an inheritance waiting for us. The Spirit is a down payment on what's coming. Um, I love the way uh, the Bible commentator Matthew Henry puts this. He uses the term earnest. I'm just going to read. The earnest is part of payment. It secures the full sum. So is the gift of the Holy Ghost. All his influences and operations, both as a sanctifier and a comforter, are heaven begun, glory in seed and bud. The Spirit's illumination is an earnest of everlasting light. Sanctification is an earnest of perfect holiness. His comforts are earnests of everlasting joys. He is said to be the the earnest until the redemption of the purchased possession. It may be called here the possession because the earnest makes it as sure to the heirs as though they were already possessed of it. And it is purchased for them by the blood of Christ. That the Spirit confirms to us what's waiting for us and helps lead us towards it. So the Spirit helps to sanctify us and train us and grow us and purify in, holy, in holiness, moving us toward perfect holiness, which is waiting. He teaches us and helps us understand what is true and right as we wait for and move forward to true truth and complete knowledge. So he's the earnest. Paul says this to the Corinthians as well. Now he who establishes us, this is 2 Corinthians 1, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is what he does. He gives us confidence of our salvation. He gives us confidence of our inheritance. He is God's seal. He is God's guarantee. And third, he is God's witness. He is God's witness. Paul says to the Romans, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Which is a very endearing way to speak to God. Daddy is really what it translates to. That we can come to him with that kind of love. Verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. The Spirit witnesses to us, reminds us, proves to us that we are children of God and that the inheritance is waiting for us. And if we suffer with Christ, the greater inheritance. But he witnesses to us and confirms to us. One of the questions I have found myself asking so many times in my life Before I understood this, I would ask myself over and over again, am I really saved? Am I saved or am I not saved? Or have I messed up? Have I messed up so bad 
This happened a lot at summer camps. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, through my teenage years, I got saved 50, 60 times probably. I don't know. You know, constantly questioning and wondering, am I saved? Am, am I God's child? Does he really love me? Does he actually love me? Was that real, what I, what I said before, what I thought before? Did I really understand what I was doing or not? Constantly questioning. And I'm, I'm telling you right now that if you live in that kind of insecurity in your life, Satan's got you right where he wants you. He wants you to question God's love for you, God's commitment to you, to question whether you're lovable or whether, whether you're, you can't let him do it. Don't let him do it to you. And the Spirit wants to stop that from happening. He wants to witness to you that you are saved, give you confidence that you are saved, the seal, the guarantee, the witness. And I'm telling you, the Spirit does not indwell people who are not saved. Okay? So look at your life. Look at your history. Look at, look at your relationship with God and say, have I ever seen the Spirit active in me? And if the answer is yes, then have confidence. You're saved. Don't worry about it. Now, he's here to help you lead other people to salvation. He's here to give you a taste of what's coming. He's here to change you, to sanctify you, to empower you, to lead you to all of those things. But don't question your salvation. If you've ever been in a situation where you felt like, I've had these, these moments where I'm talking to someone, and before I went in, I would say, I said, God, tell me what to say, because I don't know what to say. I find myself in situations like that a lot. Tell me what to say. And had a moment where I, I spoke to them, but I honestly, I hadn't planned it out at all, and I don't even really know what I said to them. And it turned out to be exactly the right thing. I believe strongly that was the Spirit speaking through me, not me speaking. I've seen him do incredible things in my life and in other people's lives. And if you've seen him active or moving in your life ever, then have confidence. And make a commitment today to walk more closely with him today than you ever have before. And say, I know you're in me. I know I'm saved. I know I'm your child. Now let's walk. Let's walk. So show me what to do. Show me what to say. And I know sometimes it can be hard to, to figure out how to hear from him with all the noise around us and, and all those things. So we'll talk more about this as the series goes on. But, but what I want to encourage you to do today is just to recognize if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, Recognize that the Spirit is in you. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ before, do it today. Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay for your sins. And he rose again on the third day. And if you put your faith in him and trust in him for salvation, then he will forgive you of your sins, fill you with the Spirit, and you can walk the rest of your life knowing you're his. All you got to do is put your faith and trust in him and say, I believe in you for salvation. That's it. So do it today. And then from this day forward, start your relationship with the Spirit. Get to know him. Listen. And that'll take some time. It'll take some practice to discern his voice from other voices. We'll talk, like I said, in future messages in this series about how exactly you do that. How you hear from him. But make that commitment today. And so for today, let's do that together. Let's just say this is an individual decision that has a corporate result. But let's say today, 
Maybe you do this every day. Maybe you haven't done it in a long time. Maybe you've never done it. But today, say, God, I've trusted Christ for salvation, and I know the Spirit is in me. Lead me today. Start there. Start there. So let's do that. Let's go to him in prayer right now. And uh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray this for all of us. Okay? Together. All right, let's, let's, let's pray. Father, what, a, what an honor it is to be able to come to you and call you that. As the scripture says, to say, Abba, Father, to come to you with, with unveiled faces, to know that you love us, to know that you gave your son for us, to know that even beyond that, you gave us the spirit, a gift of grace so that we don't have to walk in the dark, so that we don't have to question, so that we'll never be alone. And it's something that we as human beings, we're getting used to, we're learning how to listen to him, how to follow him, how to have confidence and how to have trust. And it's constantly our own questions and doubts and insecurities and fears and everything else just creeping in and trying to to put a stranglehold on the goodness that you have for us. So God, for all of us today, release that, release it. Allow us to stand confidently in your light right now. To know we're yours. Confirm that right now in our hearts that we know we're yours. We're yours. We're yours forever. And until the day that we go to heaven or the day that Christ returns, in the meantime, you've given us your spirit, which is such a tremendous gift that we would know him and listen to him, follow him, All of us, we, we, we have different levels or different places we are in our relationship with him. There's some people in the room that know him so well and have been walking with him for years and years and years. As they right now commit to continuing in what they're already doing and using the experience they have with him to help the younger believers, younger Christians to, to understand how they're supposed to walk with him. There's some in the room who've accepted Christ recently and don't really know how this even works yet. And you're teaching them. Growing them. Step by step. Day by day. Learning more. Walking more closely. Use all of us as believers to help, help those that are just starting off. And then there's so many here, I would imagine we're sitting right in the middle somewhere where we feel like at times we do this well and at times we don't and we want it to be all of our life. 
We want it to be everything that we do. We want to be responsive to the Spirit at all times, but there are distractions and all kinds of things. And so, God, I ask right now that you would put resolve in our hearts. Consistency in our hearts. Determination in our hearts. To say, right now, God, we want our life to be 100% yours. And we need the Spirit to do that. We need Him to show us where it's not. We need Him to show us where the areas of our life are that we need to let go. We need to change. We need to go in a new direction. And so do that. Speak clearly to us. Show us what you want. Show us how to walk more closely, be more faithful. And in all this, God, we walk in the confidence we have in your Son the sufficiency of Jesus' death for us on the cross, that we don't need to add anything to it. That it's enough for our salvation, and so we trust you. That we can be your children. That you would love us and know us and walk with us. It's truly humbling. And so we thank you for it. We thank you for it. And as we walk in it, we just want to be as faithful as we can. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit. So that we can. All of our decisions today, we offer to you as an act of worship. That you would know based on not only how we pray today and how we sing today and all those kinds of things, but that you would know by how we decide today that we love you with our whole heart. Our Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen.